Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Welcome to the Cecil Man podcast, one in a limited series in which some of the biggest names in business, fitness, fashion, and more tell us about their careers, their style, their routines, their mental health, and much more. Hello, I'm Georgie Corrigan-Cole, the founder of Sheerlux, and I'm joined today by SL Man's editor, Charlotte Collins. Joining us today for the SL Man podcast is Michelin star chef, Adam Byatt, cutting his teeth at Claridge's and then the Barclay, a tenure with chef's chef, Phil Howard at the Square in Mayfair, cemented his career. Trinity London, his Clapham restaurant, came in 2006 with a focus on British cooking and local produce. It has since earned him a Michelin star. With a new restaurant, Charlie's at Brown's Mayfair, he's here with us today to talk food, parenthood, career advice, and lots more. Adam, thank you so much for having us. We are upstairs at Trinity, so if there's a little bit of noise in the background, that is because this is a functioning restaurant and kitchen, and they are getting ready for today's service. Adam, welcome. What a nice way to start a Monday. Sitting upstairs at Trinity Indeed. in your Michelin star restaurant that is, well, as you said, has gone from strength to strength to strength and is busier than ever. We'll come on to that later. Yeah. But can we go back to the beginning of your career? How you got started? Was this always the plan? How did you get into food? Sure. And at what age? Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, I got started, I left school. I wanted to go into kitchens. Um, that was a, a, an aspiration. Where, where did that come from? Uh, my mum was a chef in director's dining rooms. My grandfather was a chef. Um, and food was kind of good at home, was interesting and home-cooked and stuff. But um, educationally and academically, I was fairly defunct. And school wasn't a pleasant experience for me. So actually, something practical, creative in my hands felt right. And... I went to a careers open day. Savoy Trust had uh, spaces for an apprenticeship at Claridge's Hotel. That felt like a huge move up the ladder and a, a good trajectory. So I, I went for it. What was um, it? What was it? You are, can I ask you how old you are? I'm 40. I was 48 last Wednesday. And was, it, was that a relatively different move to make for a guy, a young guy back in the yeah, day? Yeah, I reckon, I think it was quite different. But equally, I grew up in a place where you were pretty set. You were going to go and work in Dagnum Motors or you were going to just become a scaffolder. Or you, There wasn't a huge amount of aspiration. to. The, I, I saw this as my route out. And so Claridge's felt like a huge step up and, and in terms of a lot of people were sort of raising, wow, that's, you know, you know, that's above your station sort of look or feel, you know. Um, but I was actually only ju- I just turned 16 the day I had started. Um, wow. So I was very young, yeah. But you could leave then in those days. And did, they, did they snap you up? How good were you at 16? Well, you, no, I was, no, I was completely novice at everything. But uh, th- those days, employment market was huge and apprentice, apprenticeships were a huge thing. Uh, they, were, they were popular. And I still believe in them, actually. 
this was an apprenticeship, interestingly, this was an apprenticeship in a day release scheme uh, in the local college, which I did for a couple of months. Then I realized it was a complete waste of time. We were literally turning up every week one of my days off and splitting an avocado between four ladies that wanted to be dinner ladies and it was just and then going back to Claridge's and peeling 25 grams of a truffles it was absolutely bizarre so I just used to you'd take the day off and not go to college I got caught out for doing that pretty quick and really nicely the, the hotel uh, put me onto a, a scholarship with the Academy of Culinary Arts which is sort of the biggest uh, founding body for, for young chefs they have a course down in Bournemouth and they packed me off and sent me down to Bournemouth. So at the age of uh, ripe old age of 16, I packed a suitcase and went down to Bournemouth and lived there for the next six months. And then I came back to Claridge's and stayed there for nine months. Then I went back to Bournemouth and stayed there for six months. It was like a block release apprenticeship. Uh, and it was truly life-changing for me because because all of a sudden the teaching was great and therefore academia started to make sense. I was good at something. I was accepted for being good at something. I had currency and collateral and I was moving on in the world, and it was like a real moment for me. And so that was the beginning. Does that kind of thing still happen today? Could you still walk into Claridge's today and, and you know get trained up in that way? Well, I think with the, with the current staffing situation, you could walk in anywhere <laughs> and get a job. Um, those apprenticeships very much still happen. And I um, what's really nice about that is that it goes full circle. I now have my own apprentices on the same scheme that I now send to Bournemouth. So there's like a full circle there, and I love that. And I'm really proud of it. So, so yeah. Bournemouth is the culinary school you want to get into, is it? If, That's if correct, yeah. The Royal Academy of Culinary Arts Specialised Chef Scheme is the best apprenticeship for chefs in the country. And they don't spit out that many students. It's a big investment from the employer. So I pay into that scholarship and support that employee through that as well. I have three in Brown's Hotel. I have two here at Trinity. And I've already had two pass through the business already. So, But I, you know, I absolutely love it. I love that whole system. I love the progression, seeing the guys and these kids fall in love with something and, and grow a career for themselves. So I love that. Yeah. Can I ask, in those training days, those apprenticeship days, what was the split of men to women going through it? Um, these, obviously now there are far more women in hospitality, which is an amazing thing. But those days, I think the kitchen had, some, had something like 90 chefs in it when I arrived at Claridge's. It's very different now. Uh, and of that, I would say probably 10% at most were female. Wow. Uh, and on my course, we started with 12 of us. Uh, five of us finished. Of, of that 12, uh, two were female and one female finished. But the world's Which is amazing really, if you yeah. think how far the world's come for women in 30 years. Yeah. It's amazing that shopping was such a... It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Women, women were known, like, the stereotype is women in the kitchen, yeah. yet the yeah. chefs were male. I mean, that's... Yeah. However, if you still look at that yeah. top, you know, the upper echelons of well-known chefs in this country, it's still pretty male-dominated, it, isn't it? It, it, is pre- it is pretty male-dominated, but there's an awful lot of great female chefs coming through, and I think that's, like, really exciting. Mm. Good, yeah. good. Um, what what happened next? So you did your six months, you know, six months, nine months? Yeah, months. finished my apprenticeship at Claridge's. We are going back quite a long way, though, I have to say, Georgie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then I... It, I wanted to get into restaurants. That whole Marco um, Harvey's crazy rock and roll chef thing sort of burst and uh, burst onto the scene. And, and I just felt restaurants seemed like a really cool place to go. I was, you know, a young lad and I just thought that sounds amazing. So I ended up actually at a restaurant called The Square, which was on uh, at the time in King Street, moved to Bruden Street and ended up being a two-star restaurant. 
two Michelin star restaurant. Uh, Phil Howard was the chef. That was a great patron. restaurant. It was an it? amazing restaurant and, and the most influential part of my career, I think. The apprenticeship is obviously incredibly important and foundation-wise was amazing at Claridge's. Could not have been a better kickstart to the business, to the industry. Um, but my time at the Square was just incredibly influential and inspirational and just taught I just learned to cook you know at Claridge's I learned to uh, you know work in a hierarchy dress myself do prep conduct myself properly in a kitchen work my way around a kitchen conduct you know just and grow up from 16 to 21 that's real growing up time for a young man you know but actually from that point on at the square it was very much about learning to cook and fall in love with cookery that's where that really happened for me can I ask at what point do you start to focus the type of food that you're going to be renowned for? Where, when did that come in? When did you yeah, say, right? A, and, and, how do you, and also, what, how do you describe your yeah. style? Yeah. That's a tricky one because ultimately, when, you've, when I first opened my first restaurant, you simply replicate all the great things that you've cooked in other people's restaurants, you know, because that's your, that's your repertoire. That's your stalwart go-to dishes you very quickly realize that the dishes are actually they work in those restaurants because the infrastructure of that restaurant and the people around them they don't necessarily work in your little restaurant as i learned very crudely quite quickly um so i think that takes a bit of time to wash out and then eventually you start to fathom out what you really believe in and that takes time to be honest that takes a long time i think something quite remarkable happens eventually it's quite it's quite deep in the whole creative process but essentially you go through this process where you're continually searching for the new best thing and you're really really intrigued by everything and you're trying to recreate stuff all the time and eventually you find what absolutely sits square and center with you makes you happy with food you believe in it and you settle your stall out on that and you stop then searching for all these new crazy things and you say no no if a chicken arrives in this restaurant only the next four things are going to happen with it. If a duck arrives in this restaurant, there's only three or four things that can ever happen to ha- it. What's going to happen to a chicken in this restaurant? <laughs> well, it depends on which season you come. But ultimately, you know, like there are, imagine the amount of ways you can cook a chicken. For, it's, a, it's a broad example, but, you know, like finding a place where you stop having to search for all those different creative elements and ways to do things and you settle on a way to do something is a really beautiful thing. It's a really sort of... There is a moment where you find the food that you're completely comfortable with. It sits completely square and center with you. And it's really, it's really an, a lightning moment. And, and from there on in, you just, you're free to cook the food that you do the best you can possibly do it. And then you can really focus on how can we buy better ingredients? How can we cook this particular thing better? And just really hone in and focus on that and make that the best it can be. Everybody knows that professional chef's kitchens can be baptism of fire. Can you paint us a picture of what it was like in those early years in those, you know, high pressure, high intensity kitchens? I mean, it's almost militant, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will caveat this by saying that I'm incredibly proud of the industry we're in now. And it's changed so much in the last two decades. And it is now the most wonderful, inclusive industry. And and that's got to be said because I really believe that. Um, but obviously, you know, when I started back in the late 80s and, and 90s and stuff, it was a very different industry. Um, you know, uh, Claridge's was incredibly militant and structured and systematic and the dress code was incredibly impeccable. And, uh, you know, the way you had to conduct yourself was was it was really structured. But I but to be honest, I needed that at that point in my life. It was kind of chefing, police, army, mm. all that kind of stuff. I wasn't big enough for the for the army and wasn't clever enough for the police. So it was pretty obvious where I was going. Um, 
so but I needed that structure and it was perfect for me um, but when and I went amazing to training as you said incredible training and really really disciplined like super disciplined uh, there were you know it was no there wasn't two options that you couldn't make an excuse you had to just be be you had to fall into line or get out that was it and when I went to um, the square that was just that was just rock and roll and busy and relentless and intense in terms of its kind of just relentlessness it never stopped the whole you know the volume of food the volume of covers the pressure we were under how yeah, how pace, the, yeah. the, the pace the limited limited amount of chefs that were in the kitchen uh, versus the volume of food we were producing it was just intense and uh, and something you either absolutely loved and lapped up and got a massive thrill out of or you just walked out the door real quick because it wasn't for everybody <laughs> this is too but, hard um, yeah I, I, but it was intense and then, and then what happened after the square I left the square and I opened a, a, a fresh juice company with uh, Phil Howard the chef owner of the square that was relatively successful for a while mm. and then we went on and opened a restaurant in Fulham in a photographic studio and that was my sort of first head chef's what job really called? it was called The Works it's a photographic studio oh, in yeah, Fulham yeah. yeah on Parsons Green we did that together and then I had the yearning to go back into restaurants and just wanted to do my own thing so I uh, found a way of making getting some money together and opened a little restaurant in Clapham called Time and that opened in 2001 the day after the very tragic 9-11 actually uh, so it opened then and we stayed there for four years it was incredibly successful on the outside as a restaurant and got me a bit of a name and all that sort of stuff and got a bit of notoriety from it and from then we got invited and what, what was its USP time it was all small plates actually it was all these sort of it was just sort of probably the first restaurant in London to, to offer only small plates only right. sharing plates small plates so it had 20 different dishes all, oh, all so really the dairy small came and ripped you off uh, I think lots of people <laughs> use lots of people use that concept as a great starting point. But I, honestly, the truth of the matter is that I, I opened it on such a shoestring that I actually couldn't afford all the main course plates. <laughs> That's it. Small plates only. So I just did it all small plates, but it was an absolute nightmare to run and try and make money out of. And after time, I was invited to go and put a restaurant in the hospital club in Covent Garden, yes. which I did. I did that for a couple of years. And then in 2006, this building this restaurant i was made aware that the the owner of the building and the restaurant that was currently here the polygon bar and grill was looking to sell the restaurant and move into something else and so i contacted him uh, i wanted to be back in clapham we were living quite close by then and 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 yeah i just got involved put in where i could we did a joint venture as a business partners um we went 50 50 on the business we opened what with the landlord with the landlord who was also the restaurateur that owned Polygon Bar and Grill which he closed in 2006 and then we became business partners we opened Trinity together in 2006 and uh, very nearly 16 years later here we are was Clapham an unusual choice I mean you cut your teeth in in kind of big Mm. traditional Mayfair establishments so was that kind of out of Yeah, the there box? aren't a load of Michelin souls no. kicking around in Clapham. No, no. I mean, now that um, Sherlock is your neighbour, I know, right? They're going to be things are just dreams. going up in the world. I'm going to have to put my prices up. The, down, down. The, uh, <laughs> when I first moved to Clapham, it was more a case of uh, what we could afford than actually, you know, I'd love to have been in Chelsea, but ultimately that was never going to happen. Uh, it was affordable. However, it does have a really bohemian kind of foodie there's a lot of old money here there's a lot of people that really understand great food and great wine and and that I didn't realise at the time but that's come through so Mm. Clapham was a a very different place back in 2006 
or, or 2001 when I first opened here, but it's a very, very different place now. And um, it's, and it's beautiful. is only down the road, so you've got a neighbour. Yeah, and, um, but there aren't many Michelin-style restaurants in uh, South London. I'm there afraid. aren't. There aren't many great restaurants. No, but in, we've only in... been a Michelin-style restaurant for the last seven years, six years. So Others will come. Yeah. Be- before we, we come on to that, and also Beatrice Union um, on Abbeville Road, yeah. can we talk a bit about the financial side of running a business. You touched on small plates versus mains. And there's an understanding that a lot of the money in restaurants comes from the wine. How how easy is it to be profitable? How does it work? I mean, you have a huge number of staff. You've obviously got a certain number of covers to fill. I mean, you've been hugely successful, but how hard is it? And what are the main things to get right? And yeah, how do the finances work a bit? Can you share a bit of a super, insight on that? It's a super big question, that one, Joe. I don't know if we've got enough of a podcast to answer <laughs> all of that. The, the, the truth of the matter is restaurants run on very low margins. They require being full and busy and buzzing, and they need the food to move over, and they need super passionate, enthusiastic people to make them successful. Um, when you get them right and you get that gearing right and they, the model is correct and, and uh, you know you have that time where, where it's a, a super desirable restaurant and, um, and you get it right, they, they can be profitable, these restaurants. Um, they can be profitable and they can provide a really good living for those around them and the team and they can be safe, secure places for people to supply into as well, which is important. But it doesn't take very much for that not to work, that mm. model or that gearing not to work. Isn't it something like 90% of restaurants go out of business in the first There's year? There's a hugely high percentage enough. of restaurants that go out of business, yeah. But essentially the, the model works on a very simple principle of sort of 30% labour cost, 30% food and beverage cost, 30% fixed and variable cost and 10% profit if you're lucky. That's um, what you're aiming for, is it 10% profit? Well, ideally, we'd like... I'd like 50% profit. I like everyone, but, but I mean, we that's might, a, we make that's as much a, as we possibly that's can. A, that's um, deemed as successful in terms of what your P&L looks like. I think in a, in a restaurant world, if you're, if you're taking a bottom line profit of 10%, you're doing okay. Um, I, know, um, I know a couple who've run the same restaurant in southwest London, north of the river, and they've run the same restaurant for 30 years. And it fascinates me. They've brought up their whole family educated their children, got a house in Italy, and they've killed it. And I remember talking to them about it, and I was like, wow, I have such a... You know, mm. it's not easy, is it? It's not easy, but, but they've that's maintained... About graft. Yeah, that's about they graft maintain and this. keep going on it and working hard at a, at a business like that and making it their all. And it's completely achievable if you work them really well and work them hard and you focus on them a lot. But how do you um, keep... I mean, you've been here since 2006. Yeah, it's 16 years, yeah. I mean, look, there are the... How do you stay relevant? Yeah. There are the yeah. Daphne's of this world. Yeah. There are the... Yeah, yeah. Is yeah. Gavroche still a brilliant restaurant? I don't yeah. know. I'm thinking of old school restaurants. It is a brilliant been restaurant. Years, but how... That London is saturated. It's absolutely Yeah, so how do you stay... Restaurants. You said you're thriving. How are you thriving 16 years on? Um, I think that we have remained relevant and consistent and we've focused on hospitality and service because I think that's a huge I think a lot of chefs way overestimate that side of it and think it's all a restaurant is all about food and it's just simply not a restaurant is equally about the wine list and the service and the hospitality as it is the food and I think if the quicker you learn that and understand that as a chef the, the, the more successful you'll be um so we, we are very good with our guests we look after our guests we reach out to our guests we go above and beyond with our guests 
and we also make sure that we stay relevant and up to date and current and we reinvest in the restaurant we invest a huge amount of money into the back into the restaurant to make sure it still feels luxurious ultimately what we are selling is two to three hours of complete escapism from the crazy world out there right walk in drop your problems at the door let us look after you shower you with love great food great wine great cuddles great as well food cuddles all <laughs> over the building and then three hours you walk out and think wow I don't, I, all my problems are gone mm. and then you can go back to your world of all your problems and, and deal with it but we've provided that and that's ultimately what what I think we're in the business of doing mm. can you tell us about getting a mission start what does that feel like I and can, what's that always yeah. a life ambition I think if you yeah I think I, I worked in lots of restaurants like that and I've always understood that as being the pinnacle of a chef's career and so I mean I think, you'd want one I, right I mean yeah, yeah. be ashamed yeah, yeah to do I think any, that exactly. I think any yeah. chef worth his soul that tells you they they definitely would never want a mission start is probably not telling you the truth but ultimately I've I didn't want it over what I wanted first and foremost was a successful and robust business I genuinely did want that first and foremost that was the highest priority for me well you've got to eat haven't you we need to we need, this business needs to needs to pay for itself it needs to be robust and it needs to do really well successfully financially and after that let's focus on you know how do we grow that and sustain that and part of that strategy going forward was we did a huge refurb in 2015 we closed the entire business down we, we built a flat on the top of the building we remodeled it we built this restaurant upstairs G- and just as Trinity. a side note upstairs is more affordable yeah very different casual dining very different style restaurant to Trinity but in interlinked in, in, it's in the same building but a different team different style different menu different price point right. um, but Trinity has always been the sort of flagship and in 2015 we, we I did this huge refurb and I thought actually do you know what uh, I'm going to focus on trying to achieve a mission and start here. Uh, and what is that process? What, what have you walked boxes? If you, I remember hotels <laughs> saying to be five star, you know, you've got to have a mirror that mm. zooms in so close you can see your paws on the wall. I think it's a lot more complicated than that. And it's about putting every decision f- front and center about making sure that your guest experience is the best and, and least compromised it can possibly be. And if that means that every you can't take tables larger tables because you just can't deliver the food consistently to that level ultimately michelin works off a basis of the quality of the produce the chef's evocative emotional attachment to that food that you're eating and the consistency of that delivery and then they make an assumption in terms of if the chef is of that level and cares that much the service the wine list the decor the bits and pieces around it will all match that because that's the sort of headspace that chef is in. And I think it's a fantastically clear system. To me, it's quite clear. I understand it completely. And I do think Mission is, is the most consistent and uh, most outstanding system there is. You also have I believe in it. several rosettes. And, um, yeah, we have, yeah, we've had lots of rosettes and things here. Yeah. We've won tons of accolades over <laughs> the years and I'm very proud of them, but I'm most proud that we're still here 16 years later. And you've still got your star because you, yeah, yeah, you have yeah. to be reassessed. Every year. And did it change years. overnight? You got your star and then like, boom, what? people were literally queuing around the blocks no, is it that, that? that that's fake news Georgia. <laughs> is, it, is it no no I, I'm genuinely interested like the business how... has grown exponentially since since 2015 there are a number of factors to that and Michelin is one of those but 
certainly helps with bringing in a, a new crowd of people, perhaps drawing from slightly further afield. I was going to say, it's more there of a, you become more of a destination, correct, don't you? Yeah. Correct. And, and that's been a, a huge help for us. Yeah. Does one know if you're applying for one star or two? I mean, obviously three is probably a, a different ballgame, but do you kind of mm. set your sights on right? I'm set out for real one star or I'm going to try to go for two or how does that work? No, the criteria for Michelin is not something that you really have any, any say or influence in. That is just, that's just, you just try to be what you want to be and, and uh, be the best you can. Ultimately, those restaurants that prioritise guest experience, restaurants that prioritise quality ingredients and carefully crafted, considered cooking will always achieve the great yeah. results. And most Michelin star restaurants are pretty busy anyway mm. because they, are, they, are, they have a model that's successful. Mm. You know. Do you cook in this kitchen ever? A lot. Preparing new dishes, testing new dishes, and then what, you have a head chef that it's rolled out. What's your title here? Uh, I, I, yeah, I'm the chef patron of Trinity. Right. Yeah. So I'm the owner and of the business. Yeah. You know, as that grows, that role has to has to evolve and change. We, for sure. We're now looking after four outlets and three massive contracts, and we're now bidding for a new huge contract. So there is more going on in my role. But then that also works really nicely with the fact that I'm, you know, I'm just turned 48. So actually, do I want to be working 10 shifts on the stove every week? Not really. No. Um, do I need to do that? Not really. Is if it's it better my to birthday, me? though, would, would you be here? Mm, yeah, if you paid me huge amount. No, <laughs> okay, I'm joking. Of course I'm here. I'm here more than I'm not. Really, really interesting. Um, can you tell us about the other locations you own, you're involved in? I know there's a union that's so loved. Yeah. Um, in so we opened. That's right. We opened Bistrin in 2012, uh, just as a really fantastic neighbourhood restaurant, delivering really honest, simple neighbourhood bistro food, and and it's been a great stalwart of that little beautiful Aberville village since 2012. I would say you might disagree. I'd say you sort of think of like Hampstead. High yeah. Street or the villagey bit. Mm-hmm. Might you liken that to Aberville yeah, yeah. village? What area? It's just one kilometre from here. Okay. It's a, there's two sort of leafy, pretty villagey parts of Clapham. This is one, and that's the other. Okay, nice. <laughs> really nice. Um, great butcher. Oh, I, I like it. Yeah, it's got great. It's got everything on the street. It's beautiful. Um, and then obviously we have Trinity, and we have upstairs above Trinity, which is this. And I'm also the food and beverage director for Brown's Hotel, so I look after the the. the the food consideration of Browns across the whole thing and the restaurant there as well. Wow. I imagine that's quite a big gig. Mm. Yeah, it is a big job, yeah. Yeah, it's a big job. It's, it's a very uh, all-consuming all job in some ways, uh, but equally these things are always only as difficult as the as the staff you put in, and I have an amazing team there, and that sort of makes it easier. Can we talk about food in your life? Yeah. When you when you do get the chance to cook, what, yeah. do, you, what do you cook? What do you like to eat? Um, I mean, he's the king of the barbecue, right? That barbecue series. Oh my is, god, yeah, so I good! Remember. I do remember, yeah. so good. That was a good. That was good. That was just was that lockdown after lockdown think, or something. Yeah, Adam. For listeners, Adam yeah. did a series of. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Barbecue videos. Yeah. Um, that went out in the show and they were phenomenal. They were. I couldn't begin to place <laughs> well, when that was. you fish on a barbecue. Was, mm. I think that was, yeah, Epic. end of lockdown or something. Really? Yeah, it was great fun. Um, yeah, I do cook on a barbecue. I cook really only on a Sunday at home, if I'm honest. That's kind of, it's just, that's the way that, that, that our, our weird and wonderful life is structured. But So I don't cook that much at home. My wife cooks mostly at home. But when I do cook at home, it's always got a link back to this. So we do do quite a lot of research and development at home. My kitchen at home is sort of quite similar to that. So it has it has all the bits and pieces that I need to be able to do um, sort of research and development work and creative work. But it's, equally, it's just a great family. It's the centre of our house. And, um, How does it work practically for a family having a father who is a chef? Has I had a girlfriend who was in the West End and she got to know and she was like, that's it. I mean... It's a different role for a father and mother in a practical sense. But, I mean, how has that been for your families? It's something you'd advise other men did. Because it's quite antisocial, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's very diff- It's a very difficult thing to balance. The answer to that is not sure. But, in essence, my, my wife is, you know, she's my partner and we've been together for a long, long time. We're both invested in, in my career, this business, and, and how we are. She's a director, shareholder of the business. Right. She plays a role in the business. That probably helps, um, doesn't I it? I think not? that helps enormously, you, yeah. yeah. I think that his involvement in the business is really, really important. And ties you together. and Yeah, yeah. And, and also the restaurant is part of our lifestyle. So that our children come here, they eat family meal with the team quite a lot. They, they're in the restaurant a lot. This, this restaurant is greater than just a, you know, a standalone box on the high street. It is very much ingrained in our lives mm. and it's entangled in every part How of our How old are your children? Uh, my son is 18, uh, just doing his A-levels. And my daughter's 14 on Wednesday. And she's on, on the chef's track, is that right? Rosie is a bit like me. She's sort of academically not, you know, challenged in that way, um, but creatively incredibly infectious in her creativity. She's amazing creatively. And actually, you know, lots, like lots of young children, that whole COVID thing was difficult and was really challenging for a lot of young children. But for her, cookery is a real way to open up and blossom and feel like she can really, you know, be herself. And so I think she loves cookery. She did um, this wonderful course at the Westminster Kingsway College, which is a professional college, which I went to actually in the in the end. I went to, did a year there. She just did that at the age of 13. She did a nine-week course there on Saturdays and graduated and for young chefs. And it was absolutely beautiful. And she loved it. And it really helped her confidence-wise. Um, she does work in the restaurants with me. Um, I say work, but she comes and helps me in the restaurant uh, from time to time. And I just think that I think she has a real natural thing for it. Mm. Um, but I think she's... But let's see how she goes. I'm not one of these people who are going to sort of force her down a road, you know. 
Cool. What, what advice would you give to, while we're on that subject, to other budding young chefs? Is it is it a profession that you would advise? Absolutely. Is, is this a, yeah. This is a beautiful industry and young people should use cookery as a way to tackle mental health because it's a beautiful thing to do. It's a great process. You're caring for other people, which fits into the psyche of a lot of people. It's a beautiful thing. And you get to create something and give something someone to someone and make them feel special. And it's a, a wonderful thing. Converting that into working in a commercial restaurant, hotel, bar, whatever you like in hospitality is a different thing. But the industry's become a really nice place to work. And, um, and, and I think COVID has fast-forwarded a lot of those things that needed to change in our industry um, for the better. And so I predict that in the next four or five years, it's going to become one of the most sought-after industries in the country because the working practices, the working hours, the wages, uh, the respect for the industry is going to really increase. So I think, yeah, go for it. Absolutely don't hold We're going to come on to some of your favourite restaurants. You're going to have to just talk about your competitors. And is there a better life skill than teaching someone to cook? Is there, you know, I had this debate with someone the other day because I tried to find a school for my daughter years ago and I couldn't find a school that wanted to teach her to cook and I just thought, but you're going to teach her all this rubbish Mm -hmm. that is not relevant to her life, but yet you're not going to teach her to cook. I mean, you are preaching. I was thinking, don't get her started. I mean, don't get me started on the National Curriculum. It is my pet peeve subject. Slash, I've just been looking at schools for my. Seven-year-olds, yeah. and I'm like, it's cooking on the syllabus. Mm, no, 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 it's coding on the syllabus. They can do it as an extra, yeah. and then they try five languages and they choose to. Yeah. I'm like, great. Well, let's yeah. teach them French because you go to yeah. France and none of them will speak French. <laughs> so, what's the bloody yeah. point of that? Anyway? Madness, yeah. anyway, we're on the same page. Um, what are your best-selling dishes at Trinity? The salt caramel custard tart that we sort of started here about seven years ago definitely were one of the first places to do it and do it well. We've just evolved that dish into something really beautiful where we, we you can't eat that tart in this restaurant over over an hour and a half old. So we, we time the way we cook them and we use a really special smoked salt and we use a special sugar for the caramel and we use evaporated milk and all this stuff. So it's a pretty special thing to eat. And that's something that we've just, again, we just sort of, we nailed it and then we just worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and evolved it into what it is today. And I still love it. I think the bread's quite the sign- signature of the restaurant as well. Really? Yeah, we've made that same bread for over 20 years now with the Ooh, same what, what's mother your bread? starter. I haven't been for a while. What is the bread? It's kind of between a, a sourdough and a focaccia. Mm. Ooh. Uh, somewhere in between and it's it's quite individual it isn't a bread you could sort of quantify in that regard but it's pretty special and then there's yeah lots of other signature restaurants dishes that we you know they they rotate we're very hyper seasonal so we cook with what's in front of us at the time and we very stick to that um I want a main. So I'm, every looking, year I'm looking for a main. I'm looking back. for a main. One of those four chicken wings. Or... I think the in the summer, if you're coming now in the lovely summertime, then there is a beautiful turbot dish which, which we cook with tomatoes and lavender. That's all sort of inspired by the garden, and we cook it with tomato leaves from the from the greenhouse and lavender, and make a beautiful tomato lavender sauce with the turbot. Mm. Uh, I love that dish dearly. Yeah. To be a Michelin star restaurant, do you have to make every <clears> single? <throat> thing from scratch I don't think you have to do anything you, no that's a personal again it comes down to my values are that I'd like us to make the bread and the petit four and the chocolates and handcraft as much as we possibly can but that's my that's my belief that's my thing um, I know plenty of mission restaurants that don't don't select that route but that's fine as long as they're achieving what they want to but 
Um, there's no rules. There's no set hard and fast rules at all. Not like that at all. What's the average spend per head? It's quite a lot now, actually, at Trinity. Yeah. Can you tell us what it yeah. is? Um, it's a lot. I mean, our, so our menu is, and I think it presents fantastic value for money, but our menu is currently £85 for four courses for dinner time and 65 for four courses at lunchtime. And is that set? You have to have that. No, that, so that's the set price of a four-course menu right. where you choose from four dishes at each level. I love so, that. Yeah, I, I, I love that. Like, no mm. nonsense. So, Shea Bruce do that. You're having three courses. That's right. And so you, you pay that yeah, price. Yeah, I bloody enjoy it, them. Yeah. And, and actually... Uh, it, the way that we structure the menu is in four courses so it's not a three course menu so it's a bit more like that sort of Italian style so everything is in the first four dishes they're all raw crudo tartar ceviche cured Pops, whatever I mean, I know. and then the next four dishes where you might eat your carbohydrates so a small pasta dish a rice dish or uh might be a ravioli or that style of thing and then the next course is they'll, you'll have your main course turbot pigeon or pork or lamb or whatever it is in that next part and then your desserts or puddings at the end and then cheese on top of that so those four courses the way the menu is structured like that we don't generally put carbohydrate in the main course we put it beforehand we have a four course menu that starts with something raw and quite fresh and whatnot and yeah four courses 85 quid and I think it presents huge value for money when you're sitting in a restaurant like we are uh, with the you know, with the flowers and the nappery and all the stuff that goes yeah, around. Yeah, it. yeah, I get it. I get it. I mean, very it, well it's a treat, but very I get well it. paid, very well trained staff that are here to give you that three hours of escapism. And tasting? Is there a tasting menu? No, nope, we don't do a tasting menu. No. Nope. Okay. You do a no, I don't like to force people into a corner. I just think it's, it's and it's not really how I like to cook. That's all, or how I like to eat out. I like a choice of. I like to go out and choose what I want to eat. That's how I am. Do you do a Sunday lunch? Uh, upstairs at Trinity, so in the more casual thing, every Sunday we do a Sunday lunch club. We only do 38 covers, and it's always £35 for three courses, and it's based on what I had for Sunday lunch last Sunday. So you're leftovers? <laughs> no, not the same food. The same Shit, I didn't menu. get them out of the freezer! The same menu. So if whatever I had last Sunday, I then kind of come up with a menu on Monday and then goes out to, That's cool. yeah, goes so out to a database is. on Tuesday and it sells out by, by one minute later on Tuesday. Oh, wow. so. oh my I love God. That. I want to see that. Yeah, cool. Can I ask about other restaurants in London? Yeah. Yeah. You have to name some competitors. Yeah. Where, do, where do you go for a treat? Oh, I don't mind naming competitors. <laughs> London, we've got the most diverse, amazing food scene in the world right now. Do you think still we do? More so than ever before. Love that. Because we have a melting pot of you can get the best Japanese, best China, best mm. Indian, best Sri Lankan, best Vietnamese, best French. But you know, everyone who's got those kind of level of skills are coming to London because they can showcase in a melting pot. Whereas you're probably not going to get the best French food in the middle of Japan. Do you know what I mean, it's mm. just it's just the way it is. But we're very lucky with as Londoners like that. We have just these most incredible restaurants on our doorstep. Okay, give us a few, Adam. <laughs> give you a few I'm pretty particular but the restaurants that I would I go back to I'm not a regular anywhere because I like to go to uh, I like to see new things you do, know, do when you make a point of going yeah out yeah and... always I like to see new stuff that's going on uh, but I'm probably most regular with my wife and I'm probably most regular at restaurants such as uh, Noble Rot or The Sportsman in Seasalter in Whistable we go to Sessions Arts Club quite a lot we go to Spring and we go to River Cafe Noble Rock, where's that? 
Uh, they've got two, one in Soho and one in Lamcon, Lam- Jewett Street and Sportsman. Yeah. So you know, we go to different, lots of different restaurants. Where do you go for a real treat? L- we eat locally at a little cafe called Terra Verde in, uh, in, at the top of Northcott Road and Webbs Road. I eat there with my wife quite a lot, actually. I've heard about that and apparently there's a really good Italian round here being the best. Yeah, there is. Um, um, I'm not naming the competition. Uh, Fair enough. Anyway, apparently Terra Verde's. Ted Bird is great. I've heard that. Uh, really it's good. a nice little cafe, and uh, I like the guys in there. That's really nice. I went to the River Cafe for the first time, really. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, the food knocked my head off. Mm-hmm. But I felt like I was at a pop up tent at Henley Regatta, and I know that's the charm. As in, like, pe- like vibe wise? Like there's a navy like... blue carpet that looks oh, like yeah, it's I hate temporary. Exactly. I hate exactly. a, a printed piece of paper that I couldn't read. I know that's the charm, and by the way, I had the best. Freaking lunch. That's it then. We went to Farrah's Nightfall. Mm. We went to River Cafe for lunch. It was like we that is, you know, that is the job. I mean, I was like, um, what? I've been waiting all this time, and I feel like I'm in a temporary pop-up. Yeah. But the food delivers, and that's that. There just shows you the power of the food. You know, the quality of the food, the quality of the ingredients, the quality of the cookery, and the fact that it's incredibly busy and, yeah. um, we would we go to the Wolsey quite a lot my wife and I but now it's now that Jeremy King's no longer there we don't really go so much anymore can we talk about work ethic like where do you get your motivation from it's hard it's a hard um, career isn't it it is a hard career I love it though and I really enjoy it and I've and one of the most beautiful things about my career is that there's no ceiling there's nothing stopping me apart from me there's nothing stopping me going on and owning 50, 60 restaurants or you know, not that I would ever want to do that but do you know what I mean there is no actual ceiling on my industry uh, for someone that has no formal education and no you know no Mm, that's so true. Do you know what I mean? That's mm, like yeah, a really, that's yeah. a very different. It's leveling. Thing. It's mm. a leveler, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I think that's an amazing thing. Um, I'm I'm driven by not wanting to fail mm. and wanting to provide for my family and, and wanting to be as successful as I possibly can be. I'm driven by one life. <laughs> Make the most of it. Why not? Go for it. Mm. You know. Um, and I also think. And I also sort of enjoy the growth and development of people in my business and seeing them grow and develop and therefore go on and take on greater things. So mm. not driven really, I've never really been driven by money or financials, although I see the value in it completely and I understand them. It's not it's not why I get up in the morning. Mm. You know? Have you had any real low points over the years? Yeah, I've had lots, plenty. It's been, a, you know, owning a restaurant for 16 years and a restaurant, a business like we are that's, you know, it's gone up in incremental increases across the across the 16 years is quite phenomenal. The turnover we do now to what we did in the first year is is, is remarkable, but oh, And why is that? Because you, you put your prices up or you... Uh, no, it's just the, the growth of the growth of the business, yeah. Okay. Expanding upstairs. Can you um, increase, can you improve your margins as you... If you're doing the same amount of covers as you, or is it? You can increase margins. Yeah, there are improve, different ways to do that. Margins. But but ultimately, a margin must be fair to the guest and the shareholder. Mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the key. As long as you understand how to get that right, uh, giving value for money to the guest, it doesn't really matter what you charge the guest. You can still offer value for money. That's important. And back to your question about restaurants as well. We I eat at all those restaurants, but then every now and then we have a you know probably every three months, my wife and I we have a bit of a blowout and we go to a really special restaurant and have a great meal because I think it's important for me to eat in the like Hospital Road or Bibendum or Core or the Lebri or we stay at Eckfield Place every now and then and stay at Limewood and places like that because I think it's really important to we're in the business of giving a lot in terms of hospitality we give ourselves a lot to our industry and our business and our people and our guests and our team 
and we also enjoy receiving that hospitality too so we do eat out at really special places as well and we like giving supporting those places but also also we like receiving that sort of you know learning you know like who's it who was it you know never stop learning yeah um charlotte was mentioning you know no points yeah as two women interviewing (laughs) you we think it's really important to have a conversation about mental health with men yeah how how do you cope i mean you've been on a on a wheel on the treadmill mm. for mm. a long time. It's not easy. Yeah? How do you? Um, it's not. How do you look after your mental health? Well, I have had dark times in the past. I've had difficult times. I've always managed to sort of uh, overcome it, luckily. And I know that's not the same for a lot of people. And I know it's difficult. Well, I've, you know, I've liquidated a company. I've had difficult times, lost family members, all this, all those things that go on for people that make it difficult. And the business has been in a place where it just hasn't had any staff or any customers coming in, all that stuff. That That's the journey of a 16-year-old business like that, that pretty much everything happens. When I first opened this restaurant, my, my son came into it in a buggy and he's now, you know, going off to uni. So that whole life cycle, the journey of a restaurant like this has seen an awful lot. There are have been dark times that are difficult and there have been times where, it's been the most amazing thing ever. It's just a roller coaster. How do I? How did I deal with it? Mm-hmm. Not as well as I probably should have or understood how to. Uh, I just didn't really understand or have the tools to deal with it. Yeah. One of my probably my biggest regrets is that I didn't find uh, fitness and that side of exercise and fitness and stuff like that. I didn't find that earlier in my thirties. I would. I really. That would not a regret, but. I, that would be a, You've a got thing. a lot out of that. Yeah, that's how generally now I manage to absolutely manage to manage my mental health mm. is totally through fitness and exercise, 100%, and it, mm. and it works absolutely so simple, like a tree. It's so simple for My me. house is sometimes, I'm like, mm. just go for a run. Just stop now. And he comes back in he's a different person. It's just like, like absolute magic medicine for me. And, mm. and, and without it, I think I would really struggle. Uh, with the, with the scale of the business and the pace of the business, the relentless of it now, and what there's the amount of things we're juggling. If I didn't have that in my life, I just wouldn't be able to cope properly with it without it. And it's actually so. I, I came into the restaurant the other day. I was halfway through a run. I dropped off quickly, dropped something off here, and ran off. And the, one of the chefs said to me, "Oh, chef, you're going for a run." I said, "Actually, I'm not. I'm going for a think." <laughs> and and it's a quite a good point because it's you know it's, it's actually time on your own where actually no one's really going to call you if you choose not to, and. And uh, and you can just literally process information, and that that freedom and that is really nice. I ran a lot, but not very productively, and not very well since I was about forty. Actually, about six months before lockdown, I started to run more and more because I just wanted to get back in shape. Actually, and then I just then during lockdown, I just had the time which I'd never had before, and I just threw myself at it and ran loads and loads and loads and and, and managed to get an awful lot out of it. And uh, and it's been a it's now a huge part of my my life. It's a a habit if you like and, well and, um, I think yeah. that's great advice for anyone listening um, you talked you talked a bit earlier before we started recording about um, when you eat and what you eat and you know you're in pretty good shape from where I'm standing you're obviously running but after made in the kitchen mm-hmm. as they say you were talking about Huel protein shakes and Charlotte's you've said all about them I didn't um, but yeah how do you manage all you know, that's it's, it's a very, yeah, that's a really tricky thing because as you get older, obviously, as you know, that you can't just run run around eating whatever you like. It's just not just not going to sit very well on you as you get older. And, and I've had to sort of manage that. Partly, I manage that through exercise and fitness, uh, and partly, I just have to be really conscious of it. I also have 
four outlets that I have to get around multiple times across the week and I will taste and be involved in cooking multiple different dishes and tasting multiple different dishes and most of those are on the luxurious end of life I also like to eat what I want and drink what I want what I want when I want it and I want to be able to do that and therefore I have to like all of us just be a little bit more engaged with what I can and can't do when I do it so I tend to use Huel as a as a fuel end of food just to get me through the morning all the way through and then I can do service quite comfortably with that to sort of pick up bits and pieces all the way through the service and, and I can remain not getting hangry or, you know, that kind of so stuff. So when's your main, so you sort of have one main meal a day? I have one, one pretty main meal a day, but also on top of that, I eat pretty much plant-based uh, Monday to Thursday. And then really? I, yeah, then I, then I eat mainly, and then I eat fish on Friday and, and I won't eat meat until the weekend and sometimes I don't even eat meat at the weekend but I just, but that's more just a choice it's a personal choice it's not something that I care about what anyone else does um, it's more and obviously I say that but if someone puts up a turbot dish that I need to try and get right for them or whatever then I'm going to try it it's not you're not going to go it's no 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 and have like you that. seen that trend in what your customer wants are you seeing uh, are um, you purposely getting a bit more balance between meat and Actual, not really. I think in in Trinity, no. I think people come to this restaurant to For have an indulgent, explicitly delicious, indulgent yeah, treat fair. night out, and that actually they leave behind most of their sort of like me. I, I like Monday to Thursday. I tend not to eat. I tend to eat plant based. If I'm going to a fantastic restaurant tonight, You're I eat whatever I want. Of course, yeah, I am. Yeah. Life food is about pleasure, mm. you know. But equally you need to also see food as fuel mm. and how to work fuel into your body properly to make it work properly yeah. and make your brain work properly. And, and so I wish I'd known a lot of the stuff I know now because mm. I'm just a better person for it and mm. I'm I'm more uh, adapt, adept at running the business. Yeah. You mentioned intermittent Yeah, I do intermittent fast, fast quite a lot. From Gen- what hours? Generally from 10 p.m. I don't eat past 10 p.m. and generally don't eat until midday. Yeah. I was watching your interview with Gabriella Peacock at oh, the yes. weekend. Yeah. And she said, I hate the word fasting because it sounds... It sounds mean. Sounds, yeah. it sounds horrible, but it, yeah. She just... It, it was, it was it something great. Like and she explained it so And she explained it so, and explained it so clearly. It. And, and it was just about having this window. And I thought it must be best. I, I'm doing it currently. I'm waiting for 12. Do you know, I get it. I, actually, I think with, when you balance it with exercise, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable mm. is a good thing for people. Mm. Um, uh, I don't mind it. I never, I never really feel hungry. And it mm. really helps me to manage my eating habits yeah. and it makes me f- f- makes me manage my digestion and clean and mm. I, don't, I just I really enjoy it I, I don't have a problem with it and I I enjoy the process actually mm. I don't do it as a suffering or any kind of way of punishing myself mm. or any of those weird and wonderful things I just do it because I really like it and mm. it, and um, I don't do it all the time either I just do it when it's mm. right and relevant yeah. we're going to wrap up by talking a bit about success a bit about the future but yeah. in terms of your success along the way so far have you had any business advice that really stands out you had a mentor plenty of uh plenty of no i haven't no i've never had a mentor as such um no there's just, not really i don't have business advice clearly like that i think I, I i feel quite lucky that i do something that i love and am passionate about like you you know you really care about your business but it comes through that you're passionate about it you love it you live it you breathe it and and, that, and i'm lucky for that you know i feel blessed that that's the case i don't turn up at some random office sit in front of a screen if you're an analyst it might you might feel slightly differently <laughs> well i think you would feel yeah i mean yeah okay you may get the financial rewards for that but i 
I don't I really feel lucky in that fact that More I do what I, I yeah. do what I absolutely love for a living and it's completely entwined in my whole life and that's a nice thing um, but no I think if, as long as you love what you do and you believe in it mm. and and then and, and your business will be fine yeah uh, and, and cooking tips there's no Marco tip that he gave you at any point <laughs> uh, I never worked for Marco actually um, but cooking tips you should always rest your meat as long as it was cooking <laughs> so if you've cooked a chicken for 45 minutes rest it for 45 minutes so if you slow cooked a piece of lamb for 5 <laughs> hours that's different that's a caveat thing if you really properly slow cook it at like 110 degrees 120 degrees you don't need to rest it how long, you, how long would you cook it for? But if you're hours? if you're roasting a chicken or you're roasting a, a or you're cooking a steak in a pan for ten minutes or eight minutes, rest for it for eight minutes before you cut it because that's really important for that relaxation thing. And seasoning is the, the the earlier you can season something, the more the more that seasoning penetrates into the whatever it is you're cooking, and the better impact it has on the dish. Leave us with what's next. What's the ambition? I mean, it feels like you're what you know you're now. You're up there with, you are, well, you are up there with the big guns. Are you all pals as well? Are you and Jason, do you go for a <laughs> I know lots beer and a pork scratching and a chin wag? Are, are, are you a little club? You know what, Trinity's the, the thing is, Trinity, we, we won an award last week, actually, um, which is a little bit, it's quite a popularity thing, but we won the National Restaurant uh, we were number 25 in the 100 best restaurants in the UK wow. which is a pretty good thing wow it's a little yeah, bit congratulations. it's quite a popularity thing but every chef that you could name now is in that mix and actually it's lovely after this many years to be in that mix mm. and I was at the award ceremony I know lots of the lots of the different chefs there high profile chefs and I, and I came away from that event just thinking what a wonderful industry we are mm. and so inclusive and so supportive and so generous with each other's time and it's a it's a lovely industry now mm. what is next for trinity and me we are currently pitching for something probably the biggest thing we've we have or will ever do I can't i've got talk a feeling you're not gonna tell us what no, it is. i'm sorry i can't but um i signed an nda on that one but oh. it, it, if we get that i think that would be that would be the pinnacle of my career but but equally do you know what i think when you've got, you know, I've got so many people who've worked with us. For me, it's about the legacy. I want to. I'd like to be ten years further down the road. Sit back, look at it, and think that actually, all these incredible people that came through mm. the business are now doing this on their own. On yeah, their own that's thing. cool. And I have to say, that I've legacy. Say, I, I'd love that. Yeah, yeah. When, you, yeah. when we leave, that's really cool. <laughs> you get your competitor, <laughs> let's toast. But touch. you know, yeah. go do something else. Cool. Dead I'm delighted. You. Um, Adam, thank you so much. You've always been so generous. With your time, love the channel. And, love the channel. Um, love what you we, do. Yeah, we really I love having you yes. as a neighbours. Yes, oh. we're gonna, you're not going to be able to get rid of us. Well, before I leave, <laughs> I'm going to try and squeeze myself. Trinity Canty. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. It's a get down to Trinity Debutry Union. Come up. Come and see us. Get yeah. up. Thirty-five quid Sunday lunch. Uh, you're going to be quick though. Um, that's it today. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends to listen to, and we'll be back soon. Thanks very much. Bye-bye.